and we'll get going. So romantic relationships, we're talking about dating, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about uh, love. We're talking about love. And uh, so let's get going. I'm going to pray. This is sermon number two of the Romantic Relationship Series. If you didn't listen to or see the first sermon last week when we got started, you do want to check that out because there's some fundamentals, there's some, some basics that we established. Did you listen to it? You were watching it. Good. So you want to check that out because we're going to build off of that this week. So let's pray, and then we'll get, we'll get going. We'll dive in. Okay? Ready? All settled and ready to pray? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for um, these verses and, and just what you want to deliver, what you want to say to us this morning. God, thank you for that. And God, I do ask that um, you would just remove distractions from our mind, that, God, you would help us to cast down things, imaginations, thoughts um, that are exalting themselves against you, against your word, that you would help us to do battle this morning, to just meet with you, to hear from you, to be with you in your word. Because, God, we want to leave this room. We want to leave this place changed by your word. And um, we want to have our faith increase. We want to have our devotion, our consecration increase. And so, Lord, have your way with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, as we began our romantic relationship series last week, we briefly considered why people want relationships. Right? You wrote down why, why do people want relationships and why... It is important, we looked at, why it is important to start romantic relationships the right and biblical way. So here's the deal. Tell me if I'm wrong. Most high school students are engaging in fornication and other careless and sinful habits in romantic relationships. Tell me I'm wrong. I didn't think so. Right? You know it. We know it. The Lord knows it that there are some really awful habits happening within romantic relationships. Okay, I could pull statistics, I could talk through the details, but we're just, like, we just know it. We know that romantic relationships are not done well amongst your peers, right? Now, here's the issue with that, okay? That's not you, hopefully. And so you're like, well, what's that matter to me? Well, here's why that matters, because... Your peers and potentially you, if you don't approach this wisely, what that what happens when when they engage in these bad habits, when one engages in bad romantic relationship habits, ultimately setting themselves up for baggage and hardship in their future marriages. You do a wrong now, in the future, that wrong is going to keep with you. Okay, so when you don't start the race well we compare this to running a race, if you don't start well, it becomes increasingly difficult to to run and to finish the race well, right? If I start to sprint at the beginning, my goal of romantic relationships, and I jump right in and I move really quickly, it becomes difficult, more and more difficult to, to set your pace and to do things right later on. Does that make sense? Here's the reality. The world does not have a successful path for people entering 
and sustaining healthy marriages. The world doesn't have a path. They don't have a plan for you to enter into marriage healthily. They don't have it. There is no guidelines and rule book that works for marriages in the world. There's not. But the Bible does have principles that we can follow to ensure that God leads and guides our future marriages. marriages. So here, here are some numbers um, that, should, that should show you the value of this study. Between 40 and 50% of Americans who are married get divorced. That's great. Half of marriages end in divorce. That should be encouraging, right? If you do things the world's way, and not biblically, half of you will get married. So there's, it's like nine, something like 90% of people get married. So let's say everybody, let's take the adults out. So it's just students. All of you guys get married, and half of you get divorced. Sounds awesome, right? Would you sign up for that? Of course not, because divorce is really hard. Not only on the people getting divorced, but on children. And some of you even know the effects of that, right? Now, the biggest reason that 40 to 50 percent of marriages end in divorce is because they didn't enter that humongous life decision being led by trustworthy biblical principles. And in fact, the 28 million, that's the number of people right now in 2020 that have been divorced. 28 million people already divorced. Sweet. That's great. Isn't that just fantastic? Aren't marriages just thriving in America? Aren't you walking into, right, you're not there yet, you're still in high school, but aren't you just walking into some great numbers, some really encouraging numbers? Man, there's a really great chance I get divorced, and I have my heart ripped out and trampled on, and I feel awful for years. And if I have kids in that time that I'm married, they feel awful, and they feel confused, and there's agony. Man, that's great. Can't wait for that. It's so critical that we enter this decision with these biblical principles that are trustworthy and that won't let you down. If you follow these, these numbers don't mean a thing for you. Right? Divorce is terribly hard. Not doing relationships right is awful. But these principles, man, they're important and they're going to save us. Okay? So we must enter our future relationships, marriage relationships, well so that they're fruitful and amazing and so that they don't end any time before the end of our lives. Divorce is not an option. Divorce is not what God wants. So you better enter that marriage the right way. Okay? My students at school, they say things like, man, you got to get the, uh, what's the thing called when you... Write something. What's it called, Tremont? You know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. When you get married, you have to sign the prenup. See, I knew you'd help me. Okay, so all of my students are like, yeah, you better sign that prenup. I don't really know exactly what that means, but what they tell me is if you sign this prenup, that means when you do get divorced, when, not if, when you get divorced, your stuff is still yours. They don't take your stuff. And, and the vast majority of my students are like, yeah, you better. What do you mean you're not going to sign it? Why wouldn't you sign that? Some of you even think, oh, I'm definitely signing that prenup. 
What in the world, you faithless little soft? Like, are you kidding me? Is, is God real or not? Are his principles, are his words true or not? This morning, I'm going to challenge your faith a little bit because God's word challenges our faith. That's what it does. To believe and trust him for better than that garbage. When I get divorced, I'm making sure I have my stuff. Dude, I hope, I hope you don't intermarriage that way. Because you're going to be miserable and the person you marry is going to be even more miserable. Okay? Sorry for coming on so harsh. Sorry, not sorry. So what I would like to do first is begin by you doing some work. I want you to write out a list of things that people, specifically you, need. Absolute necessary. Not things you want. We'll get to one. But first I want you to write down what are the things that you need in life as it pertains to romantic relationships, as it pertains to daily life. Grab a journal. Write down. Take a minute. The things that you need. Ready? Seth is thinking about it. You gotta write them down. But it's just for you. You type them. Yep. Oh. Somebody help a brother. There it is. Biblical friends all around him. That's good. I like that. Get him, guys. Get him. What are the things that you absolutely need? And then once you get done with that list, start writing down what are the things that you want. Now, I'm going to ask you what the things were that you said you needed. I'm not going to ask you what things you want. So be honest. It's between you and the Lord, between you and the journal. I want you to be as honest as you possibly can. What are the things that you want in life? I know that if I were a young man, not yet married, there are things on that list I know that I would be putting down. Children, grandchildren, or something like that, right? I want you to be honest. What are the things that you want? And hopefully as you're writing these things down, you are distinguishing a difference between need and want. Some things we need, some things we want. As you're writing, you keep writing. Somebody tell me, what is, what's one of the things that we need? What would you put for need? Kyle? Jesus. Jesus. You need Jesus. Yep. Good. Everybody should have that on their list. What else do we need? Good credit. That's a, a a wise steward right there. Okay. Yes, you need good credit. Okay, good. What else, Rashawn? Air. You need air. You do need air. Mm-hmm. You are right. Yes. What else? What else do we need? Tegan? You need leadership. Okay. What else do we need, Kyle? You need food. Thank you. Yes, you need food. What else? Cody? Shelter. Yes. Again, what do you need? Water. Water. You need food, shelter, water, good credit, oxygen, Jesus, leadership. Rashawn? What else? You need 
clothes? Rashawn does. He's like, no, I need clothes. Life would be very uncomfortable. That's true. You probably would. But maybe if you're if you're naked all the time, you're probably not going to have any friends. And so you need friends, maybe, right? Do you need people? You need accountability. Yes. Uh, let's just say regular daily living. Yeah. What else we got? Shoes. A job. You do need a job. That's a good one. Nope. Not a need. Okay, good. So you've got your needs, you've got your wants. Hopefully you see that there's a very clear difference between needs and wants. Um, and what, what we're going to do is, I want to ask you, how many of you said that marriage is either a want or a need of yours? Raise your hand if you said marriage is a want or a need. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, half a little more than half. There's some people who are like, like, it's okay if marriage is a want or a need. That's good. So if marriage is something that you think you need or something that you want at some point in your life, we know that isn't going to happen for quite some time. Right? You're not going to get married for quite a while. You've got either, let's say, let's say, okay, there's, there's a couple seniors in here. You've got between four and 40 years, realistically. Four, 40 years. four and 40 years before you get married. That's quite a bit of time. Whether it's four years or it's 40, that's a lot of time. Between now and, okay, so three, three and 40. Sorry, Kyle. You graduated already. <laughs> what about Renee and Andrew? Andrew's like 25 years old, bro. That's 10 years from these guys' age. Checkmate. Okay. So you've got quite a bit of time. And so, so you have to think here, you, if marriage is a want or a need, listen now. Hey, straighten up and listen. If marriage is a want or a need, it's somewhere out in the future. So you've got to get from point A to point D, D. or B, right? Hopefully it is D and there's some other things in between now and then, right? So you've got to get to that point. In order to get to that point, you're going to need some things, right? The things that you mentioned, you're going to need some clothes for sure. You're going to need Jesus. But there are some things in the, in the Bible that we're going to see that we absolutely need. Um, but there's some things that you already have that you need. And we're going to see what that looks like and, and how that works. Go to Genesis chapter 24. Somebody go to Genesis 24 and start reading verse 10. Genesis 24, verse 10. Yeah, that's uh, the, Kyle. And the. And, uh, okay. What are you talking about? 
Kyle graduated somehow. Somehow. Number, okay, yeah, not numbers. Genesis 24. Somebody read verse 10 for us real loud. Thank you. Very good, Tremont. Okay, so there's a phrase in there from verse 10 that says, For all the goods of his master were in his hand. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. Now, the cool thing about this passage is that we can find ourselves in multiple characters. So here's your Bible tool or Bible study rule for, uh, for this morning. The Bible is given to us with pictures. We learn from the Bible from its pictures, its types. Okay, so in, in this passage, we can picture it as different things. We can be uh, Isaac. We can be Rebecca. We can be the servant is what we're going to see today, Rebecca's brother, etc. There's all these different roles and positions that we and God the Father can find ourselves in. Does that make sense? Did I lose you? You there? Okay, just as the servant had been given all the goods of his master, you and I, as servants of God, have been given an abundance of things from our master. What am I talking about? Flipping your Bible, it's on the other end, to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one. <clears throat> We're going to cover four verses here. We're going to start with the first two. Second Peter chapter one, verse one and two say, Simon Peter, a what? Okay. Simon Peter, a servant. And an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, excuse me, and our Savior Jesus Christ. So, he's talking to people who have obtained something. Obtained what? Precious faith. Have you obtained precious faith? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you given him your heart and your trust? Have you believed on him? Put your belief and set it on him. Right? Okay, so if you have, well, you have obtained like precious faith. That faith is precious. And here's what he prays for those believers. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So for our time before this future spouse enters our life, you have to wait. Waiting, is waiting easy or difficult? Waiting is difficult. Is waiting for your spouse difficult for you guys? Some of you already are like, yes, it's difficult. Others of you are like, not really. It's not something that preoccupies my mind and my heart. Perfect. Okay? If it doesn't already appear or feel difficult to be waiting for your spouse, it will when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, when other people around you are beginning to get married. It's going to, be, it's going to become increasingly difficult to wait. Okay? So, what do we need to do now 
What do we need now so that we can make it all the way to the wedding day without being discouraged and making disappointing decisions? Well, this is what Peter is praying for the church. We need grace, which is God's unmerited favor, and we need peace. You need grace and peace if you're going to make it from here to the point that you get married. You need that. You need grace. You need God's favor. You need God to be favoring you, to be giving you things that you don't deserve, to be loving on you. You need his love. You need his grace. But you also need peace because there's going to come a point in your life, whether it's happened now or not, where you're going to start seeing red. Or, or having a, a girlfriend, having a wife is going to be something that you feel is absolutely necessary or you're going to die. You might feel that at some point. And what I'm saying is, okay, males, <clears throat> your testosterone hormone, those levels peak at roughly age, what, 21, 20, 21, 22? Medical people, is that right? That's what I've heard. So at age 21, your testosterone is through the roof. So you're going to begin to, to feel like you need a wife. Okay, what you need is peace. Ah, to be settled. To be resolved. To be content with God. Does that make sense? Well, you get those things, grace and peace. Grace from Romans chapter 5, you can read those verses, 5 verse 1 and 2. Peace, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 through 9. If you need grace and peace, you might write those down because you're going to need them. You're going to need them. You should write them down because you're going to need them. There's two people writing them down. There's some wisdom there. But how do we get it? From this passage, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? says it right there. Through the knowledge of God. You get grace and peace through the knowledge of God. Right? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, or in other words, our Master. Okay, Second Peter 1 verse 3. He says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How many things? God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through what? The knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. We need grace and we need peace. But God didn't just give us those things. He gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything that we need in life to have life and to have godliness, to live right. God already gave us everything we needed. How do you get them? To the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Are you sensing some repetition so far? How do we access the things that we need? How do we access the things that we need? Just through the knowledge of God. Okay, last verse, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us... This is what's given unto us. Exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here's the reality. You have to know, you have to study, you have to cling to, love, and abide in the Word of God and the promises of God in order to make it through this next season of really tough life until you're married. There's going to be some tribulation. There's going to be some hardship. Once you get your mind set on, I think I want to be married sometime soon. 
That's going to get real difficult. What do you need? You need God's word. Because by it, you can access the things that you need. Grace, peace, mercy. And then once you get married, guess what you need? Once it actually happens, you're like, I'm finally married. My life is going to be perfect and easy now. What do you need? Grace, peace, mercy. You need those same things. If you can start now developing a relationship with God and his word, I'm telling you what, man. You're making your life a lot easier on yourself and your future spouse. So, this means key point number one. This is what we sum all that up to say. God has already provided what you need. God has already provided what you need. You can see the toys are having a worship service because they know God's already given them what they need. What do you mean? I don't know. All I all I can say is I I am desperate for a photography team. I need people to take pictures of church events. I need it because this is what it's come to. Please start taking pictures of church services and let me know, and we can put them on a Google Drive, and we can form a team. This this is fine, Seth, but but this is. This is good, but I think we can trust God for better. Okay, so you've got key point number one, which is also going to parallel key characteristic, a key characteristic of your future spouse or of you. So, so last time what we did is we started making a list of characteristics that we're trusting God to be true of our future spouse. We're looking for these characteristics in the person that we marry someday. And this gives us another characteristic for you to write down. It's this. Your future spouse, they should believe that God has already provided what they need. They should believe that God has provided what they need. And here's why that's important. Because when you or they don't acknowledge that the master has provided all of his goods into our hand, if you don't believe that, and a relationship becomes something that they need, the end of that road is misery. The end of that road where what you need is not what God has already given, but what you need is a relationship, there is failure at the end of that road. And I can say that because dear friends of mine, dear, some of the closest people you can, you can get to have made a relationship the end goal in their life. And they haven't just trusted that God has provided everything that they've needed. And they've, fallen away and failed and they're miserable right now they are like admittedly miserable not like they're gone i don't know what's going on no it's reported that they are miserable you don't want that man you want to keep your eyes on scripture keep your heart in scripture because god's giving you everything you need so let's move on let's keep going here in genesis 24 someone read in genesis chapter 24 you're going to read a few verses, verse 11 through 16, Genesis 24, 11 through 16. Once you get there, just start reading it.
said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and I show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And I let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camel drink also. Let the same be that thou hast appointed for my servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that, Behold, Rebecca come out, who was born to Bethel, son of Malachi, wife of Nabor, Abraham's brother, with her picture upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went, uh, went down to the well. Very good. Thank you, Kyle. So the servant, there's a lot of verses here. Let's summarize it a little bit. The servant is asking God to show him exactly who the Lord will provide for him. Right? Now, he's asking God for a sign. He says, he, he lays this out. He says, whenever I go down there, let the woman who ends up giving me water from the well, let her also offer my ten camels water, right? Which is a lot of a lot of water. Ten camels. Camels have a unique feature about them. What is it? They have a hump or humps, right? Okay, what is in those humps? I have no idea. But what I was told in elementary school is that there's water in them. I don't know that that's true. Is that true, Seth? Tell them that's not right. They've got fat humps on their back. But camels do live in, operate in the desert. And so water is something that they can hold within their body. And so feeding or giving drink to ten camels, that's a big deal. He's like, whenever that woman does that, when she offers that, let that be the one. And it says that even before he stops praying this to God, Rebecca rolls up. And she's fine as red wine. Right? Okay. So he's asking God for a sign. But the New Testament application, that's not for us. Someone wrote in the questions for Q&A last time, they wrote, is there a sign for knowing which person is your future spouse? Uh, No. Easy question. No, there's not. What you're looking for is not some strange sign. You're looking for these biblical characteristics to be true of them. That's what you're looking for, and that's the application. He's asking God to show him, show him exactly who he should be pulling uh, back home to Isaac. And so we're not asking God to make the person who drinks at the drinking fountain next to be our wife, all right? We're not like God. Whoever, whoever visits that drinking fountain, she's it. And then Cheryl Miles goes and drinks from the drinking fountain. Yeah, good luck with that, okay? It's not how it works. So the key from this portion of the passage is that the servant is trusting God and asking God to lead and show him the person for Isaac. That the servant has something unique. He has an expectant faith. It's not just God you're going to provide. 
He's expecting God to answer this prayer, right? He's got an expectant faith. He has real trusting, believing faith. So what does the Bible say about that for us? James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, Ye lust and have not. You want something really bad, but you don't have it. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not. Why? Because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Part of the problem, if you don't see God working in your life, is because you're asking for things that don't matter or you're not asking at all. You're not actually talking to God and, and requesting things of him. You're not requesting him to lead your life and provide in your life. Matthew 9, 27 to 29, it's a cool story that gives us this principle. Um, it says this, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? Do you believe that God is able to provide a spouse for you that's a perfect fit in his perfect timing? And she's going to be amazing or he's going to be amazing? Do you believe he can do that? Do you believe that he can sustain you from now until then? Do you believe it? Are you asking him for that? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. If you don't have faith that God can do that, guess what God's not going to do? That. If you believe that God can sustain you from now until that day, and if you believe that God will bring you that perfect fit because he can, you believe he will, and you're asking him for that, guess what he's going to do? That. Right? Because God has provided for the servant up to this point. He trusts God to provide and lead him moving forward. So let's look at how God answers the servant's faith. This is pretty cool. Verse 15 and 16, it says, And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. In other words, she's from the family of God. He's trusting God that she would be what we would, you know, equate to our situation. She's a believer. He's like, hey, there's a believer. With her pitcher upon her shoulder and the damsel was very fair to look upon. Okay. Beauty is somewhat subjective, right? What one person views as beautiful may be different from what another person views as beautiful. My wife, you can keep your opinions to yourself, you filthy animals. But my wife, to me, is very beautiful. She's very attractive. She is very fair to look upon, right? I believe that God provided her in my life. I believe that. That is what happened. Okay, so if... if if God can provide for the servant, for Isaac, he can provide for me, and he can provide for all the married couples in this whole youth ministry, we all think that our spouse is very attractive. Right? Right? So if God can do that, you might not think any of the counselors in our whole ministry are attractive. That's fine. 
But God can provide you with a spouse that you find very attractive if you trust him for that. If you give this whole thing to him, you say, man, all the, all the students in this class are ugly. Okay. That's what you think right now. But you watch, man. Some of, some of you are just, uh, you're like, you're like, I have rose bushes on the, on the side of my house and during the winter they're just kind of, thorny, gnarly, prickly, ugly, dead-looking bushes. Okay, well, some of you are kind of that right now. You kind of look like a prickly, you're hard to be around, right? You don't brush your teeth regularly, and so it's like, ah, but you wait. In your season, you're going to see people in this class begin to blossom. And you're going to be like, wait a second, hold on. I'm 21 years old, and Ernesto's looking fly as a mug. Right? God can do that. And so here's what happens. Immediately, God answers the servant's faith, right? Now, keep in mind that Isaac is how old? If you do some math, he's in his mid-30s, okay? Are you in your mid-30s? No, you're not. Okay, so Isaac is in his mid-30s, so you as a 15 or whatever year old aren't going to have your faith answered in that exact same time frame, right? But God will absolutely answer your faith in his own time, which is the best timing in the world. God will answer your faith in his timing. So you say, I need a spouse that's beautiful and she meets all of these characteristics or he meets all these characteristics and he's beautiful, or he's handsome, I don't know. He can do that, but you're going to have to trust him for his timing. So key point number two, God will answer you according to your faith. He will answer you according to your faith. Do you have faith he can do it? He will. If you don't, good luck. Which also gives us this characteristic for our future spouse, that they're going to be patiently but faithfully and expectantly waiting for God's best. So this makes me think of the scenario where, you know, some of you maybe while you're in high school, maybe after high school, you're going to have someone approach you interested. And you're like, hey, you know, I think I like you. I think maybe we got a chance. Maybe God's in this. And if you say, uh, no, I don't think so. Not right now. I don't think I'm ready for that. Okay. If, if they're a potential candidate for your future spouse, they're going to say, okay, cool. And they're going to go to their prayer closet and begin praying. But they're going to leave you alone. And if they don't, if they're like, no, I think it's God's timing. And they're all up in your grill about it. And they're relentless. Hey, we re- I really think that we should be together. And they're not trusting God. They're not ready. Does that make sense? So, fellas... So, so girls, if that dude comes knocking, you just come let me and Dan know, right? But fellas, don't be a weirdo. If you like a girl and you're 20-something and you're ready to start a romantic relationship and you have peace with God, okay, when you approach her and she says, uh, I don't think so, I don't think I'm ready, back off. Weirdo, Right? Okay, someone read our last verses. We're we're wrapping up here. Genesis 24, verses 17 to 20. Genesis 24, 17 to 20. Somebody read it real loud.
Perfect. Thanks. So here's the question. Where are the servant and Rebecca at currently? Oh, well, okay. So we're going to, we're going to let pastor Chris Bess, who's the missions, missions, uh, pastor. He's also going to preach at the missions camp tomorrow night. Okay. We're going to let him explain what is the significance in the Bible of the well. There's a well and it's got some significance um, for us, and he named his class, what's the name of Pastor Chris's class? Living Well. Okay, we're going to let him tie this picture in for us, so go ahead and take a listen. Uh-oh, we need volume. I can hear it. All right, you want to start that over? There you go. And then. We got it. He's got it. There it is. Okay. And the answer to that is the Living Well class got its name out of John chapter 4 and John chapter 7. And it's a play on words, you know, like Living Well. Like, hey, we want to live well, like, do a good job. Have a good life, that sort of thing. But it's, but it's also a play on words because we want to be a living well. And so, so here's how that works. In John chapter 4, especially, we have this situation. It's the woman at the well. Maybe you've heard of that. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. And they come to a well outside of a city called Sychar. And at that well, Jesus meets this woman who would travel back and forth from the well to the city. She'd carry her water pot. Yeah, and she'd go get water, and she'd carry it back home, and she'd have to do that anytime she needed water. So at least once a day, you know, making the trip back and forth to get water from the well. And so, so he meets this woman with her water pot and starts having a discussion with her. He engages her with a discussion about, about drinking and, and living water and that sort of a thing. And, and this is what he tells her. He says, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But check this out. The water I give him shall be like a well. Okay? It, it, shall, it shall, shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then if we compare that with John chapter 7, verse 7, uh, 37 and 38, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, uh, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And verse 38 clarifies it for us. He's like, oh, but he's talking about the spirit that, that they which believe on Jesus shall receive, which is the Holy Ghost. And so so here is this thing. Jesus has given this message like, you, you believe in me. You'll have a well of spirit. The, 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 the Holy Spirit will be within you, and it will be a well spring of eternal life that shall flow out of you. So here's this woman at the well. She's got her water pot. Jesus says, believe in me, you'll never thirst again. 
She believes. She leaves her water pot. She goes back to the city. She tells everyone, hey, come and see. Come and see the, this guy. The, this, he's he's got to be the Messiah. And all these people come out. They see. They believe on Jesus. And that whole woman is changed. I'm sorry, the whole city, Sakhar, is changed through this woman who really becomes a wellspring of eternal life as other people are saved through her testimony. So the name living well, we want to have, we want to live well, but more importantly, we want to be living wells where the, the, the relationship that we have with God, the abiding of Christ that we have is an overflow and the ministry is, is an overflow from the, from the life, the spiritual life that's within us that we have in Christ. Anyway, that's why it's called living well. There's a report. Uh, hope that makes sense. Love you guys. Bye-bye. So as, he, as Pastor Chris referenced, right, there's a woman at the well who just, what she does is she believes him. She takes him at his word. He speaks. She says, I believe it. We can do the same thing. He speaks. I believe it. I'm receiving his word. And as a result of receiving Jesus' word, she's ministering to the people in her life, in her town. This is exactly what Rebecca pictures for us. This person who's at the well, providing the water, drawing the water, doing her thing, and the people around her, this, this servant and the ten camels, right? Show up, she lays her life down, giving them water that she has access to. And what a testimony, right? The woman at the well, she does it. Rebecca, she does it. And this is exactly what you want your future spouse to be and to have, that same testimony that they are taking Jesus' word and it's going out of them. And it's providing sustenance. It's providing life to the people in their lives. Does that make sense? You want someone who's fruitful in ministry, not someone who's all about themselves. Someone who's willing to lay their lives down for the people around them, for the people that, that come into their lives. They're walking with the Lord, taking him at his word, and as a result, ministry is happening in their life because they're meeting with the Lord and they're mature enough to just lay it down for their, for their neighbors. So key point number three, as you saw, is be a living well. You, we need to be a living well where God's word is in us and it's coming out of us. But this is also the key characteristic for our future spouse. You need to trust God that they will be a living well. You don't want someone who's all about themselves. You want someone who's all about the Lord. And as a result, ministries is flourishing in their life. That's who you want to trust God for. Now I tell you what, there's a shortage. There's a shortage of people like that. Because people today, we want to be all about ourselves. Right? We want what we want. We want to do things the way we want. You don't want that person to be your spouse. Okay? Does that make sense? So let me just sum up the whole thing and then we're done here. Practically, here's what you do. This is how you leave this place. This is what you do leaving here. Grow your relationship with God in his word. Grow that connection. Decide you're going to read your Bible. Decide you're going to care. Decide that you're going to engage your heart and your mind and your life in God's word. Decide that. Surrender to that. And secondly, patiently, faithfully, and expectantly trust God for all your needs. Future spouse, but all the things that you actually need. Trust God for that. 
give your life into his hands in that way. Does that make sense? And in the end, God's going to take care of you because he's a good father. He's a good God. So let's pray and we'll be out of here. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the principles. Thank you for every student in here. Students who love you, students who don't know if they love you, maybe students who don't know you. God, thank you for them. Thank you for just this time and space to have your, your word open and spoken into all the ears in this room. My God, I pray that you would draw each of us to you closer in your word and that you would draw us to a bold faith that just says, you've got this. God, help us to grow in that way. God, we love you and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Take a donut. Mickey is still 16 years old, and there's lots of donuts. So.